0: Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Grey Viking Games. Check them out with our affiliate code link in the description. Hi, everyone. This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we're going to be discussing blue-green in Midnight Hunt. This is the currently, according to 17 lands, this is the third highest win rate among color pairs in uh, this format, 57.7% behind blue-white and blue-black, though notably it's roughly tied only 0.1% ahead of green-white, and it's much less played than green-white, which being fair, I would say indicates that green-white is probably slightly more powerful, and that blue-green is Currently slightly less contested, but it's all, you know, pretty comparable at that point. The most played commons in this archetype, not surprisingly, are Eccentric Farmer and Organ Hoarder, which are the second and fourth highest win rates among commons. Very strangely, Defenestrate has the highest uh, game-in-hand win rate of any common in blue-green which is particularly weird because it does not have the highest win rates in any black deck. So somehow, if you're playing blue-black, Organ Hoarder will outperform Defenestrate, but if you're playing blue-green, Splashing Defenestrate will outperform Organ Hoarder. Largely, I assume that that has to be partially due to very, very, very small sample sizes of Defenestrate, but also, it is just strange. I mean, it does point toward a reasonable supposition that interaction is important in blue-green, which I believe. I think that you have card advantage at a good rate, and you have like quality creatures at a good rate, and where you're going to be weakest is your ability to interact. Also, I think blue-green does have a bit of a glut at four mana that can push you toward cards that are not four mana performing better. Organ Hoarder Revenge of the Drowned being the top two performing non-splashed cards in this archetype. And then on top of that, you have like Shadow Beast Sighting as a very good green card at four, and then the somewhat playable Gale Drifter as an additional blue four drop. All of those things costing four, and the fact that it is very realistic to have like a problematic glut at four makes it somewhat plausible that a card that costs less mana could be better than a an additional 4-drop, it is still surprising to me that Defenestrate would actually be better. I can't imagine I would take Defenestrate over Organ Hoarder, like pack two pick one, if I were already in blue-green or something. It suggests some things about how important interaction is and also about the extent to which blue-green is able to splash, which is a little bit interesting to unpack because most of the dedicated fixing in the format doesn't do very well. I mentioned in Blue-White that there was the weird situation with Jack-O-Lantern, where it had a really high win rate, small sample size. I would expect it to be better in Blue-Green, and that didn't follow through. Its win rate in Blue-Green is not good. And then obviously, like the Dawnheart Rejuvenator and Path of the Festival also don't have good win rates. I think that the successful cards for Splashing are just Evolving Wilds and then relying on Eccentric Farmers and Organ Hoarders to dig for your splash color is how you want to go about splashing in blue green if you're going to personally i have felt in my experience like i want to minimize how frequently i'm splashing though there are some blue green decks that are particularly good at seeing a large number of cards you know if that's through self mill and you have a number of eccentric farmers it makes it a lot easier to splash late game cards i would say this is one of the archetypes i'm more likely to want to splash which should be expected for blue green. Also, it helps that you have root coil creeper as another great, easy way to uh, get a colored source for all your colors, all your splash colors into your deck. That's uh, notable, but that's all I have to say to unpack it. So, Revenge of the Drowned is barely, barely behind Organ Hoarder in win rates, um, only 0.2% behind. Both really great cards in the archetype. Those are followed by Eccentric Farmer, basically a full percent behind them. And then Eccentric Farmer is a full over a full percent ahead of any other common. It's uh, followed by Harvestide Sentry and Shipwreck Sifter. Flip the switch. For anyone who's following along with my notes, which I have failed to remind you to do, but which you do have the ability to do, if you are a, a guru-level a patron, I will point out that there is a typo for Shipwreck Sifters. They're only like fifty. 8.9%, not 68.9% uh, game and hand win rate. This should be contextually obvious. Those are the top commons. It's interesting. So, I mean, you have like the obvious great stuff, right? Like Organ Hoarder and Eccentric Farmer. I think everyone understands that these are doing exactly what you want to do in blue green. They contribute to the board. They give you card advantage. They give you card selection. They fill your graveyard. They're the most played commons. So we're all on the same page there. Then you get your kind of like most reliable interactive spell up with them. And then behind that, The best performing things being Harvest Tide Sentry and Shipwreck Sifter is probably a bit of a surprise. Those things being almost like around, you know, 1% better than Shadow Beast Sighting, for example. I would guess, I didn't think to check the specific stat, I would guess that Harvest Tide Sentry is usually taken later than Shadow Beast Sighting. So, that is to say, two drops are important in general. Shipwreck sifters seem to work out here, even though I personally haven't done a lot of sifting in my blue-green decks. I think that the Harvest Tide Sentry thing is interesting, and I agree with it. So let me go bigger picture here for a second. Blue-green has a bunch of just like flexible raw power level cards, like the ones I've talked about, like Organ Hoarder, uh, Eccentric Farmer, and Revenge of the Drowned are basically going to be great in any blue-green deck, regardless of what you're trying to do. A level below that, you can uh, get blue-green decks that are going in wildly different directions. You can... There's basically like leaning into self-mill for value and just playing a bunch of stuff that mills you and a bunch of stuff that you can cast from your graveyard, and that can be combined into kind of like a ramp strategy or like general like big mana strategy where you try to like plan to cast more like flashback stuff from your graveyard, or... It can be more uh, like leaning into the green coven stuff with blue tempo spells, be more of like a tempo aggro deck, or you can even go further the other way and go, I'm going to self mill, but it's not just for value. It's for like deck loops. And I'm going to try to combine like milling myself with some bombs and shuffling them back in with some combination of devious cover up or turn the earth, get into the like real like kind of grindy nonsense that I really enjoy playing but haven't found particularly effective in this format. I have personally had the most success in the like coven aggro tempo kind of space with blue green, where you do have some value plays, but those are mostly just to like keep the pressure on, keep your uh, creature count at critical mass for your coven stuff potentially like build a big board and find your like winter thorn blessings and that kind of thing to close out the game. If you're playing that sort of game, Harvest Tide Sentry is really important for, you know, putting pressure on early. And then sometimes, you know, every now and then you'll find yourself in a spot where like your opponent has a bunch of little guys that that it can attack through and you both have a bunch of creatures because you're playing green. You have like you know, creatures with large numbers, get a board stall, get tide sentry clocking them, and then maybe generate some like big alpha strike with zombies that you've saved up and some tricks or whatever. Uh, I've preferred leaning a little aggressive, which tide sentry plays really well with. But even if you're not aggressive in that way, I do think that this format as a whole uh, is really about board presence. And so, just like playing a good two drop that can trade up if your opponent's trying to attack you or whatever is also valuable. On top of that, Harvest Tide Sentry, as a high power, low toughness creature, is the kind of creature that's going to end up in combat pretty often. Like, your opponent's going to block it while they can, if they can. And that is going to help put you in a spot where you can get them with your startle and your plus two plus two draw card if you have coven green trick. And so like just having these high power, low toughness creatures where you can get them that are going to encourage blocking helps you take advantage of the combat tricks that are your primary sorts of interaction in blue green. Also, your other primary interaction in blue green is going to be bounce spells that are temporary answers. And obviously, the more you can keep the game short and tempo based, with cards like Harvest Tide Sentry, the more impactful the tempo gain of a card like um, Fading Hope, the unsummoned that sometimes has scry one, the more you're going to be able to leverage that if you're in a position to play a shorter game. And then also Flip the Switch is the next best performing common, another card that generally performs really well. Obviously, Anytime you have a three mana counter spell limited, it's a lot easier to hold that up if you're ahead on board, which is why, again, these two drops are so important. As for Harvest Tide, Sentry, and Shipwreck Sifter being this high, I'm now remembering my overview when I first did all the skeletons for this set before playing any games. I did notice that blue-green was kind of low in two drops that were explicitly synergistic with the archetype. So basically what you have to work with outside of Root Coil Creeper is just Harvest Tide, Sentry, Shipwreck, sifters and Bait Hook Angler. And I think two drops are important, so like those are the ones you want to play. There there are some other ones in your colors that are less good, Unblinking Observer and Timberland Guide or whatever. But I I think that you want to prioritize the good ones, uh, which are Sentry, sometimes Shifter, and Angler. Other good commons... Pretty obvious stuff. Falcon Abomination. Duel for Dominance performs really well in this archetype, which makes sense given everything I've said about the importance of interaction and the fact that you have big creatures. But it's worth noting that I think it performs better here than it does in other archetypes. Startle. I I can't say enough good things about Startle. I think I personally like Startle more than the stats suggest. Uh, I've had nothing but great experiences with it. I want to play as many as possible in basically all of my decks. But I also want to play Larder Zombie and I really like Startle's ability to just like generate creatures for me that hang out and get tapped for my like Larder Zombie and Scab Wrangler. And I don't know if people are like, playing startle incorrectly like if you have larder zombies you want to be really aggressive about just like all right on turn two i didn't do anything so i'm gonna fire off my startle and make a zombie and draw a card i'm happy to have just cantrip make a zombie as a card on my deck but like if you don't want to fire it off on turn two necessarily every game you need to like plan for like okay well how likely is my hand to generate a spot where i'm going to be in a favorable combat for startle how soon there's a lot of balancing to be put to around startle it can be a tricky card to play so that would be a reason that the stats might slightly do a bit of disservice to um, the strength of startle basically there's no limit to the number like people sometimes like oh that's a lot of startles like it's a you know reactive combat trick are you sure you want to play so many like yeah it cycles who cares i'm happy to just make a zombie and move on with my life so yeah I, i just want a lot of them All right, the last comment that I think is really important to comment on. Well, really, whatever. Bramble Armor. When doing my search for hidden gems, cards that aren't played at a high rate but do succeed at a high rate, Bramble Armor stood out as only being played. Like only 266 copies were played in any blue-green decks that were recorded on 17 lands, which is a really, really, really small number. But it has a 57.5% game and hand win rate, which is, you know, puts it at the bottom of the commons I've discussed, but way ahead of a lot of commons. This isn't to say it's like something amazing. It wins at right around or just below the average win rate for this deck. But relative to, you know, that's just like relative to how little it's played, that's like off the charts overperforming. So what's going on there? Well, it supports the idea that you want to be, you know, more aggressive with this archetype and it can split up your numbers for getting Coven, plays well with flying creatures in general, obviously, plays particularly well just all around with Bait Hook Angler, can, you know, force them to trade with the front side And then you suit up the backside, and now you have a 3-3 flyer instead of a 1-3 flyer, and that's just a whole different card. You know, Like a 3-3 flyer is a serious threat, whereas a 1-3 flyer can basically be ignored. So I think Bramble Armor, just in general, plays pretty well with Disturbed Creatures, and Blue-Green is very good at getting those things. And then, obviously, a similar situation with Falcon Abomination. So, Bramble Armor, I'd say, is one to keep in mind. That the numbers say you most likely haven't tried. I've played it. I played it a little at the beginning, and then didn't really keep playing it, even though it was fine. So that's, that's one for me also to take another look at. As for uncommons, Rise of the Ants is amazing, better than all the commons by a lot. 63.3% came in hand win rate compared to like Oregon Hoarders, 615 in this archetype, for example. Death Bonnet Sprout, also better than all the commons. Uh, I've loved Death Bonnet Sprout, drafted really highly, and then obviously it's at its best in blue-green where you want a high creature count and you want to be milling yourself uh, with other things. The other stuff is kind of more obvious, good everywhere. Scab Wrangler, uh, Overwhelmed Archivist, Clear Shot, uh, Dawn Heart Mentor, Recoil Creeper, Noble Gast Intruder. Clear Shot's obviously going to be particularly good here based on all this, everything that's been discussed in terms of the importance of interaction. Clear Shot has been fantastic for me. Um, same as the card in Forgotten Realms Hunter's Mark or whatever the uncommon that costs less if it targets a blue creature and you know has basically the same text as clear shot but with different casting costs. I've had just the same experience with both cards where the plus one plus one will often let me like win a combat somewhere and then the killer creature will win another combat. And I basically just like anytime I end up attacking with like multiple of my creatures into multiple of their creatures And they have to like make some double blocks and some single blocks and whatever. I just end up being able to get like a two for one plus by just blowing up multiple different combats that are happening. I've had very, very good experiences with Hound Tamer and Winterthorn Blessing and Fading Hope, which are other uncommons that perform well in this archetype. And the lowest, like the worst performing, notably good uncommon uh, as Contortionist Troop. Which actually performs wins less often in the archetype overall wins, which to me would indicate that it's nothing special, which is really surprising to me because I personally have had nothing but good things to say about Contortionist Troop from my own games, and I draft it pretty highly and I've played it a lot. But that's that's another head scratcher for me where it's just like I don't know. I think this card's good. I think it's played well. I don't know if people are somehow messing it up and just like you know not playing it as early as they should, or just you know generally. You know, X spells give you options. They might be doing the wrong things with it. They might not be putting counters in the right place or something. But I don't know. It's it's felt great to me. I've had a lot of games where I can, you know, kind of like lean into a board stall and just grow over time with that. And it's been good. So I mentioned Bramble Armor overperforming relative to how frequently it's played. Obviously, I always do the search the other way where I look for cards that are played a lot don't win so much and in that sort, the biggest trap is actually Gale Drifter. Obviously, there's the Glut at 4 mana, and I think it's quite a bit weaker than the other 4s. It's nice to mill, and it gives you a 5 mana play, but the 5 mana 2-2 Flyer is pretty expensive and underpowered, and given that this archetype is not very likely to run out of stuff to do, putting a card in your deck so that you might end up with the ability to spend 5 mana for a 2-2 Flyer is not a very high priority. But yeah, Gale Drifter is a card with... Uh, stats that are you know, an outlier below the expected win rate for how much it's played, then Bird Admirer is also notable as having even worse stats, but not being played as much. And Bird Admire, I would say, is the biggest, like the most confusing bad card for me, where all the stats for Bird Admire and basically any archetype say that it's just horrible. And I don't think it's good. I think that the form, you know, I've talked about how the format makes blocking hard and Bird Admirer is certainly primarily a defensive creature and everything. But I, it doesn't feel that bad to me. It feels okay. Like, I feel like you know, when I'm playing decks that are kind of interested in going long because I have some bombs or whatever, or like my early game's a little lacking or something, it puts in good work. Now, maybe what's happening is it's a good card and a bad deck. And anytime I want to play a Bird admirer, I've, you know, gone off the deep end and I should not want to play it because I should be a deck that wouldn't want to use it instead of a deck that does want to use it. And that would explain, oh, well, you know, maybe that's why it's bad. But I don't know. I'm not prepared to write off Bird Meyer, even if its stats say it's bad. I guess this happens to me sometimes. You know, I was in a similar spot with Secret Door uh, in AFR where the card doesn't have good win rates, but I felt like, yeah, but, but I might want it sometimes. I don't know what to tell you based on that. That's just my reaction to seeing it. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> Turn the Earth. While we're talking about cards that I like but don't necessarily think are good, Turn the Earth has fun stats. Uh, it doesn't have a particularly good game-in-hand win rate, but it does have a very good improvement when drawn. And I want to talk about this mostly just to reiterate and highlight why I think you should never rely on improvement when drawn. There are ideas floating around about how, like, oh, maybe game-in-hand win rate is a good... Way to look at things when you don't have an archetype selected and you're like, oh, should I take like this powerful red card or this like, okay blue card and say like, well, you know, in context, how much do I win with them? Let's like look at the game and hand win rate to see just like in a vacuum, which direction do I want to go? And then there's this idea that, well, now that I know that I'm blue green, I'm just looking at blue green cards. So I'll look at the improvement when drawn to see how much they overperform in my deck, knowing that I'm in this archetype. I still think you want to look at game in hand win rate and just filter by looking at blue green decks when you're in that spot. Because if you look at improvement when drawn, what you're going to find is that Turn the Earth has a pretty high improvement when drawn. But if you look at the rest of its numbers, you'll see that that's because it has a really low games not drawn win rate, which is to say it doesn't win a lot. It's just it goes in decks that lose a lot when you don't draw this card. And in this case, It isn't even that these decks are dependent on Turn the Earth to function. The reason that these decks do badly when you don't draw Turn the Earth, and I don't have data support to support this, this is just reasoning about how the card plays and why the data would be this way, but I'm pretty confident the reason that these decks have a really bad win rate when they don't draw Turn the Earth is that a Turn the Earth deck is built to play a super long game where you see you know, your whole deck or most of your deck, and then you shuffle it in and you go through it multiple times. And you're So you're trying to play this really long game. The games that you lose are generally going to be short games where you don't see your cards. And the fact that you died before you had a chance to play Turn the Earth just means, well, this was a short game and I was playing a deck that only wins after it sees all of its cards and that didn't happen. So my game plan failed. And none of that says anything good about Turn the Earth. So the fact that it has a high improvement when drawn is... For a number of cards with like niche strategies, strategic implications, a high improvement when drawn can be damning. And I think that that's very much the case for a Tranny Earth. Despite the fact that this archetype does dump a bunch of cards in the graveyard, which can let you use, you know, some flashback cards and some disturbed creatures and stuff. Ominous Roost has a really bad win rate here, despite the fact that it had a pretty good win rate in blue-white this is not the place for Ominous Roost. This makes sense because the white cards have the cheapest cost to cast from your graveyard. You have the plus one, plus one, the flash spec for a single white. You have Lunark Veteran, and it's just... The average cost to play th- to play white cards from your graveyard is significantly lower than the average cost to play blue and green cards from your graveyard. And then also, blue-green is just less likely to need the inevitability offered by uh, Ominous Roost. Like, Ominous Roost is good at eventually killing your opponent, but not good at protecting you. And blue and green just, like, generating value. And, like, it's you're already favored in the late game, so you don't want this card that doesn't help you get to the late game. So yeah, no roosters here. Instead of that, what you want is you want to be drafting cards that interact like on the board a little bit more highly instead. So prioritize your Fading Hopes and your Clear Shots and your uh, Dual for Dominances and maybe Splash, maybe Splash Removal, I guess. (laughs) I should probably touch on uh, Larder Zombie a little bit. Its stats are kind of like just below the cutoff for what I considered notable cards that you want to put in your deck in that it does win less often than the deck on average by a tiny bit. And I do think larger zombie is a little bit less what you want in blue-green than blue-white or blue-black, I think, in that you're kind of better at not running out of stuff to do, so you don't need it to filter your draws as much. You can use larger amounts of mana um, if you have cards like Rise of the Ants and Shadow Beast Sighting. You have these expensive flashback cards. Those are already making it not that bad to draw additional lands. And so Larder Zombie's ability to stop you from drawing lands isn't necessarily that useful because those lands that you can choose not to draw, those would be fine draws also. And then, I mean, mana stinks like Dawn Heart Mentor are another reason that like it might just not be that important to manipulate your draw with Larder Zombie. But I do think Larder Zombie is just generally a good card, helps with Coven. Also, you know, Larder Zombie says, hey, play a long game. And like I said, I think Blue Green is at its best when it's trying to play a short game. So the more you're doing the stuff you shouldn't be doing, (laughs) the Bird Admirer decks want the Larder Zombies, but... It's not surprising to me that none of those cards have good win rates because you're supposed to be playing the Harvest Tide Sentries and the Winterthorn Blessings and just killing your opponent. Um, so maybe try to avoid the more fiddly, grindy stuff that exists in these colors and maybe save them for other decks or uh, pass on them all together. Yeah, I think that, that basically covers it. There are different things you can do with the deck. I'm not saying you should never play the long loop your deck grindy stuff, but as with any sort of more controlling deck in limited, basically across the board, you're going to want the exact right cards to do it. You're going to want powerful rares. You're going to want the right removal spell to keep in your loop. You're going to want the right counter spell to keep in your loop. It's, you're going to have to like build this delicate machine that doesn't fall too far behind, has enough power to bother with, Everything's going to have to line up just right for it to work. Whereas if you do the, you know, simpler, more aggressive focus on killing your opponent, that's going to be easier. Thank you very much to Jeff, my new patron this week. And I'm going to turn this over to Twitch chat for questions. One diagraph for it will ruin your day if you are trying to loop your graveyard and that's timed correctly and you don't have a response to it. Definitely, definitely a critical possible point of failure is that there is just like you know some graveyard hate at common in this set uh they can certainly make any aspirations you have about looping your deck a lot more uh dangerous or unreliable When slash what other cards will you want before prioritizing Dryad's Revival? Dryad's Revival is definitely an interesting card. I think it's somewhat of a like delineating card, differentiating card. Like there's a clear distinction between decks that are Dryad's Revival and aren't Dryad's Revival decks. And Dryad's Revival has a really big impact in the decks that want it. So I do think that it's like pretty important just like potentially while you're drafting to think about like, okay, am I in the like... Dryad's Revival deck bucket or the not Dryad's Revival deck bucket. So things that you're looking for to want Dryad's Revival are obviously ways to make sure there's going to be something valuable in your graveyard to get back, which can be a combination of self-mill and then just having cheap cards that are impactful in the late game. Just to say any kind of cheap removal or cards like Death Bonnet Sprout that don't cost very much mana but are good late. And then, you know, if your early stuff is all just like harvest-type sentries or especially bait hook anglers that, you know, don't matter enough when you get them back late or you getting them back late isn't a thing because so you would just cast the disturb side or whatever instead, then it's not going to be so good. But for the most part, the best thing you can do with Dryad's Revival is get back cheap removal. So if your deck has and is good at using dual for dominance or clear shot, those are really good cards to pair with Riot's Revival. Fading Hope. Acceptable, not quite as good. And then you also just want to pay attention to, in general, what's the curve of my deck? Like, Dryad's Revival is like, it aspires to be kind of like a three mana demonic tutor, basically, where it's like, well, I've filled my graveyard with all these different kinds of effects. So for three mana, I can get the effect that I want. And then for five mana again, I can do that again. But like, when I spent three mana, I didn't get a divination. I got a tutor. I got the card of my choice rather than card numbers. I had to spend eight mana to get two cards in my hand, which is a really expensive divination if you're not getting meaningful card selection out of it. So you have to both know that you're getting, like, you're not just playing this on, oh, this is the card in my graveyard. I could get it back. I had to spend my mana here. You need to get meaningful selection. And then you also need to make sure that you're going to have eight mana lying around, like that you're going to play a game where there's like eight mana that you wouldn't have spent on other stuff. So you need the right mix of filling your graveyard, having cheap cards to return, and then playing a long enough game to want to use it and to not have enough, like not have other mana sinks, other expensive cards in your long game deck that mean you're never going to get around to it. So low curve, self-mill, cheap interaction is... Like if you have all of that checked, then you want to prioritize try at survival. Next question: What do you think about seize the storm in blue green? Seize the storm has a notably good win rate, fifty eight point four percent. That puts it above dual for dominance and startle, below falcon abomination and flip the switch in terms of like how successful it's been when people play it. Obviously, played a little bit. Less often due to being both uncommon and a splash, and by a little bit, I mean it's played a small fraction as frequently. Definitely a card where the more organ hoarders and especially eccentric farmers I have, uh, the better it's going to be. But obviously, you also need to be milling the spells with it, so you need a really precise build. Eccentric farmer is really important for loading your graveyard well. Finding the mountain or whatever to cast your Seize the Storm, but then you also need to make sure that you have critical mass of spells, which blue green can do, but doesn't necessarily do. Obviously, startles and considers are optimal for this because they're uh, adding spell density to your deck while also adding spell density to your graveyard by replacing themselves to allow you to keep churning. So, yeah, uh, Seize the Storm powerful higher upside than shadow beast sighting it does have a better win rate than shadow beast sighting but it asks a lot more of your deck like it's played in much lower rates people presumably only play it when they have a particularly good seize the storm deck if it's early in the draft i know i'm going to be blue green i think i would usually take shadow beast sighting over seize the storm and i would only want seize the storm when i know i'm very much in a direction that's going to put a lot of spells in my graveyard like you don't want seize the storm to be like, a bad Shadow Beast sighting that is, like, better in the very late game, you want, like, your Seize the Storm to basically always, like, you know, by the time I'm thinking about casting this, or not necessarily on turn 5, but at least as soon as I've emptied my hand when it would be convenient to spend 5 mana, I want to be pretty sure I'm going to get, you know, like, a 5-5 five, five or bigger, so it's not just a bad Shadow Beast sighting. Aside from defenestrate, have you found yourself splashing anything with much frequency slash success? basically like good rares. I've uh, also just considered splashing like Diagraph, Board and uh, Eaten Alive. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, you can do a little splashing in this archetype more freely than in most, but because I'm trying to be as kind of like aggressive and tempo-based as possible in this archetype where, where I can, basically I try not to splash unless I end up with a lot of eccentric farmers, which is where I would like to be. I would like to have a lot of eccentric farmers, but I generally haven't been that lucky. There are drafts where I see tons of eccentric farmers, but I haven't managed to line them up quite right with times when I'm actually drafting green, unfortunately. Next question. Will I play three Witherthorns when two is four with flashback? Yes. This is a card that, I mean, I, I think it's really good and I don't really mind just having more of them. Using multiple Wither Thorns in a turn or using them over multiple turns are really good ways to just like win a race, kill your opponent out of nowhere. If I have a lot of Witherthorn Blessings, I am going to... Try to, you know, maximize my creatures and minimize my like other non-creature spells to make sure that I have like a big board and my opponent's at a low life total and I can like do that and flash it back and just kill them. You don't want a handful of, you know, startles okay because it cycles and gives me a thing that can like hit them, but you don't want to be, you know, just like a bunch of like flip the switches and considers and other stuff that's like slowing down uh your application of pressure. It's certainly like combat tricks plus a spell that prevents combat from happening is not a good synergy. So I would certainly, like the number of Witherthorn blessings I'm going to play cuts into the number of combat tricks I want, even though it itself isn't a combat trick. It is a thing that... Asks for a similar board state. It asks for both of us to have creatures and to be in a spot where their creatures would want to block my creatures. So even though it's not a combat trick, its conditions are identical to like the conditions that combat tricks are looking, which means that it's fighting for the same like deck spot. Next up, I've expressed that I'm less concerned about lacking hard removal in my decks than many of my viewers. Blue-green feels like a deck that experiences that lack. What are the main things you should do when playing uh, blue-green to avoid dying to a bomb? Uh, Soft removal. So, flip the switch, fading hope, fight spells, winterthorn blessings, uh, just creatures with evasion, just stuff that means that you, like, oh, I can't kill this thing, but I can win around it. So, I mean, <laughs> in a really roundabout way, even Hound Tamer is kind of like a way to beat a bomb where it's just like, oh, well, this is a big creature or something that's like generally making it hard for me to win. But now if I can just generate a board stall, I have this mana sink that might let me take over and win just like in a different way. Certainly not the best answer. You know, like if my opponent has a it and it's a problem that I can't kill it, most often, Hound Tamer is not going to win me that game. If they don't have removal and it's just like, oh, well, I can't really attack you because if any of my creatures die, it's a nightmare and you can double block. And you can't really attack me because Hound is making all my guys bigger than yours. We'll hang out. And if well, I just get to sit here for a million turns and you have a removal spell, maybe my Hound Tamer will be your Yissa. Which, you know, the same can't be said for just like some random other creature that's not also nanosync. But yeah, for, for the most part, just, just soft answers and pressure. This is a question about getting into blue-green, which is something I usually discuss more than I did here, which is, you know, do the good commons put me there, or do I need something um, like a compelling uncommon to get me into that spot? Good and interesting question, right? Like, you know, nothing has to happen to get me into blue. I'm drafting blue by default. So the question is, am I moving into green for an eccentric farmer, or do I need rise the ants to put me into green? Is basically how I'm interpreting this question. Not literally rise the ants, could be death death bonnet sprout, could be clear shot. But like, do I need something better than Eccentric Farmer to go into green or like is Eccentric Farmer doing it? And if Eccentric Farmer is doing it, is it literally just Eccentric Farmer or am I willing to go into green for Harvest Tide Sentry or Shadow Beast Sighting? I can't say I've never taken a Shadow Beast Sighting as my first green card, but it's not something I'm generally trying to do. Harvest Tide Sentry, same situation. I have, you know, seen a pack, seventh pick. Nothing in my colors, but there's a high harvest tide century. I'm like, all right, that's a pretty late harvest tide century. I'll take this and keep an eye on green, see if it's open, see if this is a sign. I'm not gonna like full jump into green, be like, wow, I got a harvest tide century, let's do it. But I'll say like, all right, that's that's enough for me to put the feelers out, see see what see what else comes my way, but take this as a little bit of a, an indicator, to keep my eyes out for it. Whereas you know, an eccentric farmer, third pick or something. If I have a couple of green cards, a couple of blue cards, I, I would just, you know, let's just jump on this eccentric farmer and see what happens. I'm not like, all right, I'm married to green now because I got a third pick eccentric farmer. But I, I will take an eccentric farmer third, which is say commons can do it, but it's like late commons plus a lot of evidence that the color is open rather than just like, oh, I'm going to take this early and just commit to these colors. Kind of kind of a middle middle approach there in terms of like my threshold to get it. I'm not gonna hard avoid it unless absolutely forced the way that I would with red, but I'm not looking for any excuse the way that I am with like blue black. Next question, have I found builds that want otherworldly gaze? How much flashback slash disturbed do you want before that card is good? I personally, I believe I've never put otherworldly gaze in a deck that I've drafted. I do, I could imagine blue green decks that want otherworldly gaze i think that seize the storm is a likely component to that puzzle and i think that they are very rare i I could imagine mostly it's going to involve the like wow we've gone way off the deep end we're playing like otherworldly gaze with seize the storm and turn the earth and my deck is like awesome and doing a lot of weird stuff and i have like critical massive like graveyard stuff such that like i think this is actually really powerful with any luck there's also like a you know death bonnet sprout and or deliver of secrets in there that are like digging the fact that i'm milling myself a bunch or that i have a bunch of spells or something as far as like exact numbers to make it work i don't have those for you because i've i just like it's very rare that you're in that spot i can't say i've it's you know explored it myself just kind of like think about it (laughs) because it's going to depend on like how good are these cards to get in the graveyard am i like if i ever will engage myself am i somehow like chaining off from there and like what are the various things that i'm doing that want this in different ways because there are a lot of different ways that doing it can be beneficial for the tempo aggro version of the deck what should i be looking for in terms of top end other than rise dance which seems excellent regardless yeah so one answer is literally none. just like end your curve at organ hoarder and revenge of the drowned and just like play early stuff and then try to you know tempo them out and kill them with your cheap cards and you know if you have like hound tamer and contortionist troop and dawn heart mentor then it's really easy to do that and really easy for that to be true. If your top end is just sinking mana into Hound Tamer or Drawn Heart Mentor, you're in great shape. When you don't have those cards and you're worried about late game, I mean, Shadow Beast Sighting is also another kind of natural top end where, like, you're going to want four drops in your deck. You don't necessarily want five drops in your deck, but this also kind of gives you a seven mana play. But as far as like the real version of your question, Burly Breaker actually has really. Good enough stats that I was surprised. Better than Contortionist Troop, which is hard for me to believe. So Burly Breaker, just a giant werewolf, uh, plays well here. And then I think similarly at Common, I think that where the 5 5 Coven get trample, gets trample card is better in green white, I think the Hauler, the 4 5 Vigilance uh, werewolf, is better in blue green. So uh, I've had a couple of blue green decks that trophied that played one Hauler. I think Holler is okay in blue-green and small numbers, but I, I also think I'm not, like, actively looking to put a five or six mana card in my deck. I'm, I would prefer not to all as equal, I guess. That's, uh, that has caught me up to the current questions. Thanks for tuning in and or stopping by, everyone. This week, for the record, uh, there was a three-way tie in my poll between blue-green red, black, and green, white, I believe. Um, so I cast the uh, deciding vote. Felt like talking about blue-green. Uh, it's, I think, the one of those that I personally had the most success with. As for the runners-up and the tie here, um, we'll see if people want to vote for them again or not. So that's what happened there, just to give you a little peek behind the curtain. So anyway, I'll be back next week with whatever the patrons decide I'm going to talk about, uh, unless there's a tie, and then I'll pick from one of those. Prepare Thanks, and you know, bye everyone.